followers of Jesus, we are called to a radical love, a love unlike the world knows, a radical love that loves God with all of our being and loves our neighbors as ourselves. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, not too long ago, we observed a holiday, a Hallmark holiday, it's sometimes called one of those, Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is a holiday that celebrates what? Love, right? Love. Well, let's talk for a minute here about love. What is love? That's kind of a loaded question, isn't it, really? What is love? It is a complex subject that certainly has a number of different meanings, depending on the context. If you look in Webster's Dictionary, you'll see five definitions for love there. And the first four say this, a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. So it's a strong affection. Another is an attraction based on sexual desire. So you have a strong affection. You have an attraction. Here is an affection based on admiration, benevolence, or common interests. And then a fourth one that's saying it's a warm attachment, enthusiasm, or devotion. Now, I think those are certainly, those are good definitions for love in certain particular contexts, I would agree. But that really doesn't capture, I think, ultimately what love is and the best definition of love. And they do say this, the last one says this, love is unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. That's a good one, don't you think? A good definition of love. Unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. And that kind of captures the biblical definition of love, doesn't it? Biblical love emphasizes that last definition, unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. In other words, what it is a giving of oneself. It is giving of oneself for the benefit, the well-being, the good of another person. So that is some definitions of love. But scripture challenges us to love, to love God with all of our being, to love our neighbor as ourself. So I would ask, do you love God? I would suggest our love for God can be seen in our obedience to God. More on that a little bit later. But this one, do you love others? Do you love others? And our love for others can be seen in our giving of ourselves for the benefit or the well-being of another person. So as we are continuing our series here on the harmony of the gospels unique, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're taking this harmony of the gospels approach as suggested by John MacArthur in this book, One Perfect Life, in which he puts together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John into one flowing chronological account of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, then, we're focusing on the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. And we're seeing that in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And here is the key 
theme that I want us to take away from our message today. That as followers of Jesus, we are called to a radical love that loves God with all of our being and loves our neighbors as ourselves. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we put our trust and confidence in him for the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. He calls us then to be his disciples, his students, his learners, those who follow him and imitate him. And he calls us then to a a radical love, not a radical like crazy, okay, but radical and like, and it's an extreme ultimate love of God with all of our being and love for neighbor as ourselves then. So before we go here, first a little context for our text. We're here where you're seeing where Jesus is speaking to those who were opposed to him, some who were opposed to him, and he is setting them straight on who he is on what love is and what a neighbor is when he encounters someone here who wants to challenge him in this regard. So we see then in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, Jesus speaking or teaching here, and he is challenged. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Notice he didn't say the Samaritan. He said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So here we see Jesus is being tested here. A lawyer, a scribe. 
they were considered the experts in the law of Moses. They were called scribes because they transcribed, that is, they made copies of the scriptures. Now, in those days, yeah, you didn't put it on a copy machine. You didn't upload it to the cloud. If you wanted to read the scriptures, you needed, that, well, you needed to have a copy of that. How did you get a copy of the scriptures? Someone had to manually write that out. And there was a class of people called the scribes who did that. That was their job. And so if that was your job, writing out, copying the scriptures, making sure they were entirely accurate, word for word, not a jot or a tittle out of place, you would get to know what it says pretty well, don't you think? You might come to be considered even an expert in the law. And so they were supposed to be the experts in what the scriptures say in the law of Moses. They would also then, they would write up sometimes certain legal documents and contracts as well. So they were called lawyers or scribes. Now, not all the Pharisees were scribes, but some of the scribes were Pharisees as well. And so when this incident occurred, Jesus had evidently been sitting in the synagogue teaching. And as the people sat listening there then, a certain lawyer then stands up. And we're told there that this man, he wanted to test Jesus. That is, he might have been thinking, oh, let's see what this rabbi, what this teacher here really knows. By the way, do you think any of these experts in the law delighted sometimes perhaps in sitting out and listening to a local rabbi, a teacher, and saying, hmm, I see, I see. And listening to every single word they say, ready to pick apart some point, find some flaw and point it out and show let me, the expert, explain what this means to you, right? Do you think that any of them might have had an attitude like that? Yeah, possibly, right? Do we have some like that today in the church? Well, maybe it's possible, right? But it's good. It's good to have people who are well discerning, right? We are all called to be discerning. But I'm not so sure that this man was interested in discerning so much perhaps as he was in trying to find fault here. So he's listening to this Jesus, this rabbi here, and saying, let's, let's see what he's got. Let's see what this man knows. And I think one senses here then that there's perhaps some degree of arrogance on his part. But there absolutely is, as we see, there's certainly an attitude of works righteousness. Right? What do we mean by works righteousness? Well, works righteousness is the idea that a person must do certain good works in order to be made right with God. How do you get right with God? Well, you do good works. And, you, if you, and if you do enough of these good works, well, then you're a righteous person. And that's how then one is made right with God. This is how one attains to eternal life, is by doing good works. Now, listen very carefully here, all right? Promise me you're going to listen very carefully to everything I say at this point on this, okay? Don't hear just like a first part and then stop it. Listen to everything, okay? In one sense, in one sense, it is true that a person is justified or made right with God by good works, Good works do justify 
a person, make them right before God. But, and this is absolutely critical here, they're not our good works that make us right before God. Whose good works are they that make us right before God? Jesus, right? They are the works of Christ on our behalf that make us right before God because none of us could ever be made right with God by our own works. So do you understand what I'm saying there? We're saved by grace through faith, right? We're saved by grace. It's God's grace. Through faith, through faith in Christ, in his works, in his life, in his substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. We're saved by grace through faith. But in being saved by him, we're being saved by his works, his good works, his perfect obedience to the law of God, which is then credited to us. That's why it's called grace, right? And then he took the punishment for our sins. So we're saved. We often focus, we're saved by his death on the cross, his substitution, and that's true. But we're also saved by his perfect life. He was the law keeper, the perfect law keeper for us, as well as the one who died, who took the punishment for our sins. But like many people, though, then and today, this lawyer thought that he could be justified, that he could attain eternal life by his own good works. Could he? No. None of us can, right? So this lawyer thought that he could justify himself. So he says, testing him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus answers the lawyer's question with a question. And he said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? You're an expert in the law. You tell me, what what does the law say? What does the law say one must do to inherit eternal life? Now, the law of God is indeed the place to find the answer to that question, isn't it? So Jesus says, well, expert, what does the law of God say? And so the lawyer answers and says, in summary form, here is a perfect summary of the law of God. The law of God has quite a lot to say on how we ought to live. But in summary form, he answers here, well, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer correctly summarizes the law of God by saying that one must love the Lord your God with all your being, and you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And here he is quoting He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and from Leviticus 19. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. 
every Jew knows this passage very well. Everyone would have known this well and could quote it. That says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And in Deuteronomy, or excuse me, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, and you are, the Lord speaking says, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus answers this lawyer and he says, you've answered rightly. You're correct, expert. Do this and you will live. You're right. So just do that. In fact, Jesus gives that same answer to another person on a different occasion. In Matthew 22, we're told, someone says, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, what if you want to summarize what God says about how we are to live, what are we to do? Love God with all your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're doing that, we are fulfilling the law of God. So there you go. Question answered. What must you do to inherit eternal life? Well, it's simple. Perfectly love God with your whole being. And perfectly love your neighbor as you love yourself. Simple, right? Well, that's the answer. Except there's a little bit of a problem here, though, isn't there? What's the problem? Nobody can do that, can they? Have you and can you and do you perfectly love God with all of your being? Have you, can you, do you perfectly love your neighbor as you love yourself? No. Nobody can do that. And that's why we need a Savior. And that's why we need a Savior who is the law keeper who always perfectly obeyed all of the law of God on our behalf. Can you realize that that's part of our salvation, part of the way, the way that Jesus saves you and me is we get credited with his perfect obedience to the law. He loved the Lord his God, the Father, with all of his being, always, he perfectly, he perfectly loved his neighbor as himself, always. He perfectly fulfilled all the law of God on our behalf. In fact, listen to what Jesus says on this subject on another similar occasion. We're told in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26, it says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? A lot of people seem to be asking him this question, right? People are still asking that question today. And the answer is always the same. 
be perfect. Oh, that's a problem. Yeah, it is. It says, so behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? (laughs) And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think we've seen that somewhere. We call that what? In the Ten Commandments, right? Now, those aren't all of them. Those are just some, right? And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. <laughs> what do I still lack? And I kind of laugh because, see, this, you think this young man, I th- he really believed he had kept all the law of God. I, well, I've kept all those. Right, sure. You think maybe he was a little deluded? Uh. Oh, yeah, oh, yep, check, check, check. I'm good. Well, what else? Is there something else I need to do? I'm good. Jesus knows his heart, doesn't he? And he sees a problem in this young man with greed and materialism. So he says, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now I ask you, was Jesus saying here that the way to be saved, to have eternal life, to be in right relationship with God is to go and sell everything we have? No, he was what? He was pinpointing what's important. What's important, what was an issue in this young man's life. He was pointing out his sin to him. He was deluded about that other stuff too, Right? But he points out this one knowing there's no escaping this. Hmm, sounds like we are all in a great predicament here, doesn't it? It says, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? See, and they made that they thought that wealth and that, that this was a sign of God's favor on you. Nobody believes that today in our culture, right? Okay. People do, still do, right, today? We have the health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, Right? They said, well, 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 who can be saved then? And here's the piece. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, with man, this is impossible. It, it, Saving ourselves, perfectly fulfilling the law of God, being able to, but, but, but with God, all things are possible. You see, it's impossible for human beings to save themselves, but with God, 
It is possible for a person to be saved. How? By God's work for them, doing what they could not do for themselves. See, Jesus perfectly kept the law for us. And he then gave his life on the cross where he took the punishment for our sins. And through faith in him and in his completed works for us, we can be saved. We can inherit eternal life. So we see a testing and we see love here. We're told, love God with all of our being. What does that mean? Well, we'll look more at that in another message later. But just briefly for right now, at the heart of loving God with all of our being means obeying him. See, that's the, that's the test of love. Do we really love God? Are we obeying God? Can we say we really love God and yet live a life of total disregard and disobedience to him? No. But what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, listen to the full context from Leviticus 19, which tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Perhaps that will give us a good bit of insight on what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here's context. We often talk speak about the importance of context of Scripture. You know, that Leviticus there where we're told, and love your neighbor as yourself, comes at the end of a long uh, uh, teaching there, which summarizes it. You see, loving your neighbor as yourself is a summary statement. So what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, let's get it straight from God himself, what he said on that. Here's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, starting in verse 9. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Why? Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what did you see in there about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself? Making provision for the poor and needy? 
Do not steal. Do not lie, deceive, or cheat. Promptly pay a worker their just wages. Treat the disabled with respect. Don't show favoritism, favoritism toward the rich and powerful. Do not twist justice in the legal system. Instead, just judge justly or fairly. Don't gossip. Actively protect the lives of others. Don't nurse hatred in your heart toward others. Confront people directly when they have wronged you. Do not seek revenge or bear grudges. Don't do these things. Rather do what? Love your neighbor as yourself, as you love yourself. Is there much more that we could talk about, about what that means then, to love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah. In other words, loving your neighbor as yourself is treating others as you want to be treated. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew seven twelve, he says what? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That summarizes the law of God. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says the same thing. He calls it the royal law. He says there James had been, uh, uh, had been telling them not to show partiality or favoritism toward the rich. And so he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all of our being? In a nutshell, obey him. What does it mean to love the neighbor, love our neighbor as ourselves? Treat them the way you want to be treated. But we're told the lawyer, the justice, he wanted, says, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, he's probably thinking, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, 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 lo- I, I love my neighbor as myself. But he's narrowing down his understanding of what a neighbor is so that it conveniently fits his behavior as he sees it. You see, many of the scribes and the Pharisees believed that one's neighbor referred only to the righteous. Whereas the wicked, who they defined as Gentiles, tax collectors, sinners like prostitutes, they were to be hated because they were the enemies of God. And they even cited scripture to justify themselves in this regard. Like in Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22, where it says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Wow, sounds like, yeah, we should hate these people. But what they are missing in that passage and elsewhere is that this hatred is a righteous hatred for all that is corrupt. And as one commentator says, it's not a spiteful, personal loathing of individuals. And in fact, we even have an expression today. You probably have heard it. You've probably said it yourself at one time. We say what? Hate the sin, but love the sinner, right? So if we were to hate everyone who has been corrupted by sin, who would we love? No one, right? 
but he's looking to justify himself. And so Jesus gives an illustration. Who is my neighbor? So who is our neighbor then? Is it the people we really like? Is it the people with whom we get along well? Sure. But is it only them? No, it's everyone. And in fact, Jesus tells a parable to answer that question. And in the process, he illustrates for us what love for our neighbor looks like. About the man who's traveling the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a very dangerous walk. There were all kinds of places where robbers or thieves could hide out and jump on and assault and rob an unsuspecting traveler. And so there was a man then who fell victim to the thieves, to robbers, left him nearly dead. And along comes a priest. Well, surely a priest is going to help someone in need, right? But no, but what is this priest? He sees him and he passes by on the other side. Why? Because, well, he might, he could defile me. You see, if he's dead, I'm not to touch a dead person. I could be defiled by that. So, oh, I better not do law of God says I can't defile myself. So I'll just move right along. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Keep moving, right? Well, along comes a Levite. Who is a Levite? Well, the Levites were like the priest's assistant the, who assisted the priests in the temple. He comes along. Oh, sees up. Oh, nothing to see here. I don't want to be defiled. I've got more important business to do. Nothing to see. It keeps moving along. And then along comes not just anyone, but who? A Samaritan. Dun-dun-dun, right? So now if you've know anything about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. You know, this was a shocking turn of events in the story here, isn't it? The least likely one you'd expect to help is a Samaritan. Because the Samaritans were despised. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They saw them as half-breeds, religiously, spiritually, physically. And everyone says they were, they were to be despised. And here's this despised Samaritan. He doesn't pass by on the other side. He helps. And what does he do? He goes to great lengths to help. He exposes himself to to potential danger himself, staying there with him. Binds up his wounds. Puts him on his animal. Walks along with him. Takes him to an inn. Cares for him there. And then he needs to go on, but he gives... A denarius was a day's wages. It's two full days' wages to cover any expenses that there might be for him until, so that this innkeeper could care for this man until he comes back. And then he says, and by the way, I'll come back, and if there's anything else, any other expense, I'll, 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 I'll reimburse you then. Wow. I'd say that's loving your neighbor as yourself, wouldn't you? So Jesus is answering, who is my neighbor? But he's also telling us what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself, right? You know, we saw a little bit of that this week. So who is our neighbor? Well, it's anyone else, but it's especially someone who is in need. And we saw that this week. Many of you went through this here. I I experienced it myself with a little trouble here. We had this major ice storm that rolled through our area, right? So there were folks that were without power. I was without power for a couple of days at my house. But also then, because there were all of these, this, this heavy ice on tree branches, 
branches coming down and, and hitting power lines, bringing power lines down. You know, with the fire department over a couple of day period there, had, we had almost 50 calls for downed wires you know, over the, over the, in that very short period of time. So there are problems all over. Many areas then without power for some time. But also, I got a little treat, a little surprise. I was uh, sleeping in my cold house, <laughs> or attempting to sleep in my cold house, uh, and all of a sudden, about four or five in the morning, boom! And what was it? Well, it was a big tree branch that came down and hit my garage. So I go out there, and it's like, oh, great. My first thought is, oh, great. I'm going to admit my first thought was not praise the Lord. I know. <laughs> my first thought was like, oh, man. Yeah. But you know what my second thought was? Praise the Lord. You know what? Because first of all, it was the garage, and it wasn't the house. Yeah, it wasn't the bedroom of the house, right? It was the garage, not the house. And the second one, even with the garage, it wasn't like a direct hit right on it and going in. It was kind of a glancing blow that it damaged like the gutter and the the fascia and the soffits. So, okay, this won't be too bad to be fixed. A small hole in the roof right near it there. Not too big of a problem to fix, right? Yeah. So that could have been a whole lot worse than it was. And so I was thankful, you know, for that. But, you know, uh, the next day, or actually it wasn't technically negative, it was a couple days later, uh, I was able to finally get around to dealing with cleaning it up and, and dealing with it, calling insurance and all this. And, and, uh, but you know what? Here were some neighbors, some folks here in our church family who come along and what? They're, this is a huge tree branch. It was a little, little hard to move by yourself, you know? Trying to move all that, cut it down, move it out, get it out there, get that cleaned up. They were neighbors to me. But you know what? There were other folks in our neighbors who were, who, they were neighbors to those in need around them here in our community this week. So who is my neighbor? Well, it's anyone else, but especially someone in need. What does it mean to love your neighbors yourself? It means to treat them the way you would want to be treated. It means to come alongside. Don't do evil against them, but do good for them. In fact, Jesus tells us what? Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Galatians chapter 6 tells us, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith, to our fellow believers. Jesus then ups the ante a little bit for his followers, though, too. Because what does he say in John 13? He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what? Well, I would remind us, as followers of Jesus, we are called to a radical love, a love unlike the world knows, a radical love that loves God with all of our being and loves our neighbors as ourselves.
So I would ask, are you trusting in Christ for eternal life? We can't put our confidence and our trust in ourselves and our own supposed good works because they can't save us. Only the good works of Jesus and only his death on the cross for us and our faith in him as the law keeper, as the one who died for us. Only that saves and gives eternal life. Are you growing in love for God and others? Who here still has a little ways to go and grow in your love for God and one another, right? But the question is, what is the trajectory of your life? Are you growing in that? And then I want to get very specific to each one of us here and say, who is your neighbor? Who is someone you can serve this week? I want to challenge you to ask ask God. Say, Lord, who can I love? What neighbor can I love as myself this week? Maybe it's somebody you already know about, and maybe it's kind of been on your mind. You're thinking, you know, I really ought to do that. Or maybe it's you're going to get surprised by it. But why don't you ask God, say, Lord, who can I serve this week? Who can I love as I love myself? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ who did perfectly keep your law, every jot and tittle. Thank you that through our faith in him we are given that gift of righteousness, of perfect justification through him, in him, by him. Thank you that he willingly gave his life on the cross where he suffered, where he took the punishment for our sins upon himself. Thank you that he conquered sin and death, that though he died, he was buried, he rose again in triumph. And that through faith in him, we receive forgiveness, righteousness, and the gift of eternal life. We inherit eternal life in him. May he be honored in our day today and all the days of our week. Lord, would you challenge us here this week? Who is a neighbor that we can love as we love ourselves? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.